0: to that recommendation. There was one finding from the original report that the Department of Public Health and Environment needed to provide better oversight of the Caring for Denver Foundation. Anna will now lead us through a discussion of the five recommendations which were fully implemented.
1: Thank you, Carol, and good morning, everybody. Recommendation 1.2 was to revise contract terms. As stated on page one of the follow-up report, we found the Department of Public Health and Environment fully implemented this recommendation by amending the contract in June 2021 and affirming the Department's oversight responsibilities over the Foundation. As a result, the Foundation is now also required to submit several documents to the Department for review, including its annual draft reports, grant and financial policies and procedures, and its strategic plan. Recommendation 1.3 to develop a strategic plan was also fully implemented. As stated on page two, we found the Caring for Denver Foundation developed a strategic plan for 2020 through 2023 and submitted it to the department for review. Additionally, the foundation developed annual work plans which included goals, measurable metrics, a timeline, and clear references to the ordinance. Recommendation 1.6, to review and revise financial management policies for strategic consistency, was also implemented. Starting on page two of the follow-up report, we confirmed the Foundation's investment policy included impact objectives, which aligned with the Foundation's missions, value, mission, values, and strategic priorities and incorporated elements of the foundation's strategic priorities in its investment strategy guidelines. Similarly, we found the operating reserve policy was updated to reflect the leading practices recommended in the original audit for setting minimum and maximum reserves. As stated on pages three and four of the follow-up report, we found Caring for Denver Foundation fully implemented recommendation 1.8 to review and amend board policies and procedures by reviewing and updating its conflict of interest policy and gift disclosure form to better align with city ordinance. As shown on page four, the foundation also fully implemented recommendation 1.9 to duly authorize the executive committee by drafting and approving a charter for its executive committee that outlines the uh, committee's membership requirements. By amending its contract with the Caring for Denver Foundation, the Department of Public Health and Environment better affirmed its oversight role over the foundation. By implementing Recommendation 1.3, the foundation now has clear goals, objectives, strategies, key performance indicators, and timelines that are integral parts of a strategic plan and would help ensure the foundation implements the Caring for for Denver ordinance. By implementing Recommendation 1.6, The investment policy now incorporates strategic guidance and the updated operating reserves now align with leading practices. By implementing recommendation 1.8, the foundation's leadership can better safeguard against potential conflicts of interest that would harm the organization's credibility or create opportunities for fraud. Finally, by implementing recommendation 1.9, the foundation leadership can ensure the Executive Committee remains account- accountable to the Board of Directors. I will now pause to allow for comments or questions from Audit Committee members, and after that, we will present the remaining recommendations. Any questions, Jack?
2: Yes, um, I, I just have a question. Uh, chairman of the board? Um, on page 5, Uh, It appears your auditor's BKD um, apparently didn't take a look at the audit department's uh, original report, which I find a little bit unusual. It's outside the scope of what we're doing. But you might want to ask BKD why it was that they didn't take a look, because you're their client. We are not. I, um, we're we're client. We're client as a city, but not for your organization. So it's not in the scope. But you might want to do do that because. Yeah, I want to know. You know, you might want to know why they didn't take that step. I'm not blaming you for it.
3: <laughs>
4: I'm uh, gonna let Lorez go first, yeah, and then I right. can then plug we can follow. <laughs> So
3: um, BKD did uh, their uh, audit, as they do all nonprofits, and they assessed, uh, they did a spot assessment, similar to what uh, the city auditor's office did to look at the, the grants related to 50,000. They look at the financials, they look at the policies, and they did that audit. In further conversations with the, and, and I think they'll comment on this too, Further conversations. Um, what I think the auditor's office was looking for was a, an additional step, which is an operational effectiveness assessment, uh, which which isn't typically what's done in a in a in a typical nonprofit audit. And so we are in conversations right now with them. They will do it this year. It comes at an additional cost, and so we will be doing that operational effectiveness assessment in this year's audit. Yeah, I,
2: mean, I just thought was curious. Yeah, my only question was why they didn't ask for anything you'd gotten you know, in, in terms of your controls so they could look at it. And, and that's not your responsibility to have thought of, so please don't, oh, no, no, that, that, that. we're done, I'm, you've answered the question. Thank you.
5: Um, as to the implemented recommendations, do you have anything you would like to add
4: I don't think so. Well, that's not true. I would add one piece is that the thing that continues to impress me about um, Lorez and her team is how thoughtful they are in looking at all of these pieces and really digging into it and being able to think really strategically and detailed around what we need to do to implement these pieces. The other thing that is really Having sat on a lot of boards, and I actually am the CEO at Urban Peak, and so we work with youth who are experiencing homelessness, and um, I would say as a CEO, I learn a lot from Larez, (laughs) but also around that piece of bringing the board into the conversation and how we're able to understand those nuts and bolts and what we're doing to address it, but then also what we're doing to really meet the needs. It's truly astounding.
5: Florine. Florine.
6: I was going to wait for this question, these questions, but I think since they came up now, I will go ahead and ask. Um, so, two questions. One is um, since its inception, or since the beginning of the tax uh, assessment, um, which I think was January of 19, since that time, how much has been collected for that, um, from that revenue source, and how much has been spent approximately?
3: Great Great questions. Um, (laughs) What I can tell you is because we put it on our financial reports, we have uh, expended 91% of the dollars received. Our financial policies have us making sure that we get out anywhere between 85 and 97, and we're always trying to go towards that 97%. And so um, we have gotten out close to 100 million, 98.3 million to over 200 organizations uh, in the three. So while we incorporated in January our signed Mm -hmm. contract with the Department of Public Health and Environment was in September of 2019 okay. and so then our very first step was to do that community engagement to help direct the use of the, not just the, the ordinance directs the use of the funds but to get the input and in how to get that out and so uh, we have been getting money out to the city since January of 2020 and so almost a hundred million out
6: so Give us some examples of some of the metrics that are in this, yeah. and and the assessment at this point as to how effective that hundred million has. Sure. Been. I don't. I don't know. I, the the impression that I think the average citizen gets is that we're still at a crisis of for mental health, um, and despite spending a hundred million. Yep.
0: I completely
3: appreciate and agree. I I think the economy, COVID, has uh, what was already a challenging problem. So we passed this before all of that, and things have definitely gotten worse. Um, What I can tell you is some of the investments. So what we measure and measure impact. So the other thing to remember is, while we got money out in 2020, we didn't actually get to see the result of the 2020 until 2021. Now we're getting ready to do our second annual report. So we have two years of reporting for grants but we've been able to show with the people served that we have improved mental health reduced substance misuse uh, and then uh, improved equity and outcomes related to mental health and substance misuse as well as addressing recidivism and that entry into through some of the co-responder and required funding to the city so some of the programs we have funded would be things like the star and co-responder program to the city that diverts folks with mental health or in crisis away from the justice system and into care. Uh, We have funded things like Colorado Village Collaborative, which is a safe outdoor spaces. Uh, We have embedded peers, which are people with lived experience that um, have gone and learned how to be recovery coaches. When they are embedded in there with licensed clinical social workers, we're finding 72% 72% of the population, the unhoused population that are on those safe outdoor spaces or in those locations are taking up mat services, they're taking up substance use mental health services. We've funded programs like the uh, Center for African American Health. They have brought in therapist of color collaborative and then because of that 85% of the people they are seeing have never received services. And then of that 85%, 97 have completed between 15 and 18 visits. So we're really looking to embed services where people already are at to make them a little more trusted. There still tends to be some stigma associated with mental health and especially substance misuse. Um, so we're really trying to embed uh, those resources where people will take them up and, and improve. But you are correct also, just the current things are also, uh, we, we can't always show what we've prevented and yet things are also uh, getting challenging still, and so we tend to we still work with DDPHE and other organizations to make sure uh, and uh, we have reports on that. and in our, uh, we'll make sure that we get the audit committee our 2022 annual report, which will show the impact of the grants we made okay. over the last year as well, just so you have that.: Thank you.
2: Jack, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, to follow up on that question, just as a citizen,
3: because
2: mm-hmm. We're on the air. Um, I, I, I've got to say, I'm really impressed with how you're putting your arms around this. But the problem is, we have a moving target, which is the real problem. And do you think, in like two minutes, you could just give us a quick overview of how you see that moving target? And with your expertise, what could be better done, uh, if anything, to kind of arrest this major problem that we have? I, I'm just saying. No, that's a big a
7: question. And that no. was two minutes. Right two ahead. minutes. Right. <laughs> well,
2: I, I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, the auditor far. wants to spend you know, the whole but meeting. I, I on think this. it's
5: important. It's an important question. I
3: appreciate and it. You know, I, I think we're always trying to focus on how do we bring trusted resources. So whether you're talking about unhoused or communities that have been underserved or feel like services haven't reflected or represented, how do we how do we build those services so that people access them in the midst of also crisis? And so how do we respond to crisis? So some of the current fentanyl, and then the now the sort of ketamine and fentanyl. We don't have great processes. No city state does, but we are piloting something. So one of the programs we're piloting is um, for a lot of recovery homes. When people are trying to go through recovery from substance misuse, it's not always a linear path. And people will have missteps. And so what we've done is created a transitional home where if somebody uses while they're in a recovery house, the normal path would be to say they can't come back we have created this recovery space where we can support people with additional services to get them back into recovery. And it's also focusing on fentanyl so that we have better tools and understanding of how to better address.
2: Oh, I'm not questioning what sure. you're doing. I'm,
3: oh, but just generally the...
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, before you get going, yep. you gotta you got you say, where, what's the <laughs> problem and where is, it, yeah. where, where is that target out yep. there? And that was what I, I was...
3: I appreciate that. Sorry. Uh, and and so you.
2: it's not a criticism of anything oh, no, no. at all, it, And nor what you've done. It's really like...
3: I, I think partly probably what I was trying to hit on a little bit, and again, apologies for my passion for all the grantees. <laughs> I'm like, um, it's, it's how do we both get ahead of the crisis and how do we do more prevention? Um, I think there's also... In all honesty, Arapaho House was a, a substance misuse provider for adults and youth, um, went went away in 2017, served over 5,000 people, um, and there hasn't been anything to step in its place. And so we're really trying to identify how do we get more recovery spaces for young people as well as adults? How do we, What what is getting in the way? What are those barriers to having people want to enter into that marketplace? Um, What are new roles maybe that the city could play in helping create some of those solutions with uh, some of the immunities they might have that might make it harder for medical or health providers to wanna provide that care? Um, And then some of our systems, I will say, have stayed to the drugs that, and again, alcohol is still one of the most commonly abused drugs and we still need additional supports for that, but how do we think about those other recovery spaces Um, I will will also offer it up to Christina, who also being at Urban Peak knows and sees a lot as well. Yeah, I
4: think there's that question for, I mean, again, to take off my Caring for Denver hat in some ways, as we're looking at our most vulnerable populations, access continues to be the massive challenge. And that Mm -hmm. as we're thinking about our most vulnerable population not being able to access things, We have to understand that that also means that our folks that are living on the edge or underinsured or not insured are also hitting up against that wall. And that um, I would be completely remiss in not saying that lack of access to affordable housing, inflation, and the fentanyl crisis is a perfect storm, and that that spiral of not having stability but having high expectations. And for example, if you think about what's happening today with the influx of migrants, being able to pivot and respond to that because we think so much about trauma and so much of mental health and substance misuse is a response to trauma. And so how are we really stepping into that upstream work? And I think, I do really think one of the things that we heard so, loud and clear in the community assessment that Caring for Denver did. So it wasn't just like, hey, address this population or just the unhoused or just this. It's really like, what does it look like to get upstream? And as someone that obviously cares deeply about youth and how we're intervening with youth, when Caring for Denver, based on community feedback, identified youth as a really important population, I think that responds to your question. What are we doing to get ahead? Where are we really thinking about that? And I say it all of the time as the CEO of Urban Peak, and I say it all the time as being a part of Caring for Denver, is how are we looking upstream? And how are we thinking about prevention? Because once we get to really significant intervention, there is not enough. There is not enough services. There is not enough access. There is not enough patients. I mean, you know, typical, and you're going to tell me I'm wrong, but I think <laughs> typically folks who enter some type of rehab or another, it takes at least seven times for it to stick. And you think about our folks who get one shot, if that. And so how are we creating more access? And to Loreza's point around, how are we really thinking about harm reduction so that we can have folks being able to come into systems and feel like they can stay? Um, And how are we really thinking about access in communities? well power is not here so I get to say it a little bit differently but big massive behemoth systems like state mental or city mental health systems are very hard to access and people don't want to access them and so we have to be able to respond to that and we have to be thinking community based and really understanding what's happening in those communities. I hope that answered your question.
2: About helped it, it, yeah. the, the, the problem is,
4: it's massive. The problem it's is
2: that the that the, 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 the problem itself is so large and so encompassing.
4: Well I think that's and that piece around it's a human problem yeah. and humans are complicated and so how are we responding to humans and as we see people evolve how are we doing that and that you know, there's jargon about trauma or human centered or all of those things but that is the human experience and so we have to be dynamic and responsive.
7: I'm sure we're tight on time, but just to add, I think DDPHE, Department of Public Health and Environment, has an equal or greater responsibility to address some of these as well. This is a huge fund, but a drop in the bucket based on the need, and so I think to talk about what behavioral health supports are in CDP or the Community and Behavioral Health Division of DDPHE, we've just completed an assessment of Uh, mental health and substance misuse using ARPA funds and are gonna redirect some of the ARPA funds that have been granted to our department in support of this and making sure we're in alignment with what Caring for Denver is doing and not overlapping supports and services. So I wanna acknowledge that the problem is huge and it's not only on the shoulders of Caring for Denver, but there are also other supports within our department supporting the great need. Auditor, oh, I have not, just
6: one mm. brief comment. I'm no, not not sure. a question.
8: So when I was reading this response last night, like you, Christine, I do lots of nonprofit work, and I absolutely hate strategic planning. I hate coming up with policies and procedures. We want to do the work, right? That's, but I have learned because I'm, I, I'm an old dog, but I have learned some truths. <clears> that it, it is so critical, and I was so pleased to see how you embraced strategic planning, policies, procedures, board evaluation. It's not fun, it's, it's just hard, yucky work. But you did it, and I think it will only lead to your future success. So I, I just felt very strongly that I wanted to acknowledge that.
5: Thank you, Leslie. I, I have an easier question, I think.
4: <laughs> it's a yes, no question, right? <laughs> uh, back
5: to the flow of funds, I mean, you know, we had looked at uh, a grant that you made to the police department for the support team assisted response and found some compliance problems. I mean, we weren't looking at the effectiveness of the um, use of those dollars, but are they complying with the, you know, the grant requirements? And the one thing that really got my attention about that was that the police department actually had to turn money back. Uh, and we know that there is plenty of need out there and turning money back seemed to be um, mm-hmm. something that shouldn't have happened. Do you see that happening with other organizations that you make grants to?
3: Not as, um, maybe not as to such a great level. I think we got over $732,000 back from the police department, which will roll back to go back to the city. Um, Some of it is, you know, it's a tough time for nonprofits. So we've had, uh, you know, some smaller nonprofits not continue and they'll return the money or not Anytime a grant ends, if there's unspent funds, we ask them first for, is there a plan to spend? And if they can't come up with a plan to spend, then we ask them to return. I will say it's a small, small percentage. Most um, are wanting to do the work and trying to figure out how and can use the dollars. Um, the, the city is probably more unique. That, that grant in particular is more unique than, than what we have typically seen.
5: Thank you. And there were some operational problems. I mean, staff turnover, COVID, some of those minor yeah. things.
3: And we, we, again, during COVID, not an unusual situation to see the staff turnover, the um, going remote, in person, all the different things. It was a struggle for many.
0: Okay.
5: Should we continue?
1: All right. So if there are no further questions... <laughs> <laughs> Daniel will now walk us through the partially and not implemented recommendations. Thank you, Anna, and good morning, everyone.
9: For uh, recommendation 1.5, to conduct a segregation of duties assessment. As shown in our analysis on page five of the report, the foundation did have external auditors evaluate the design of internal controls around segregation of duties. However, the evaluator stated that the review did not include an examination of operational effectiveness. We reviewed grants of 50,000 or less, approved by the Executive Director, and did not find any transactions to indicate the risk noted in the original audit had materialized, but also did not find sufficient operational controls added to the process to fully address the original risk. Therefore, as the potential risk was not fully mitigated with the adoption of process controls, we determined that this recommendation was partially implemented. Recommendation 1.7, which is to clarify and reinforce expectations for conflicts of interest. As shown on page six of the report, we found that the foundation provided conflict of interest training in 2021 and 2022, and has plans to continue doing so each year moving forward, meeting the recommendations clause to provide ongoing training. However, we also found the other clause of the recommendation to list the types of relationships for disclosure on the foundation's annual conflict of interest forms had not been addressed. Therefore, we determine this recommendation to be partially implemented. The segregation of duties risk noted in the original audit, uh, the risk remains that the foundation's policies and procedures still lack proper safeguards against possible abuse and fraud in the executive director's authority to award certain grants. For recommendation 1.7, to conducting the conflict of interest training for foundation board members, can reinforce conflict of interest policies and expectations. However, by not updating the conflict of interest disclosure forms, board members may inconsistently report conflicts of interest and ultimately risk harming the foundation's credibility and potentially create opportunities for future fraud. I will now pause to allow for comments or questions from audit committee members.
5: Questions, comments? Should we continue?
7: And are, we, are we allowed to speak at this oh, point? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that'd be great. I didn't know if it was... Uh, relegated to committee members. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you for, again, for the audit team and everything that you all have done. I think what I probably should have said in our opening remarks is, uh, to your point, Leslie, we're grateful for everything that we've learned as a team to make sure that we're being the best stewards of these dollars, to make sure DDPHE is playing our role and Caring for Denver is playing their role and making sure these are these dollars are used to the benefit of the community in a way that's compliant and, and to the best of our abilities. Um, We, uh, in these two findings in particular, when we met with the um, auditors on the day of the release of the follow-up report, we talked about a couple things here and got a lot of clarification from that one meeting that felt very meaningful and valuable um, and just wanted to state that um, because the report was published before we had the opportunity to have that conversation and really talk about the findings, It it felt a little bit to us, and I know this isn't the intention, a little bit like a gotcha instead of a meaningful collaborative discussion to really solve the challenges. And so in that conversation alone, it led us to a few answers that we could very quickly and easily implement and feel like we were compliant and could be implementing or fully implemented on a couple of these fairly quickly. And so just want to state that out loud. We know the intention is always for the the benefit of um, Denver residents and the work that we're all doing. But if there were more of those meaningful collaborative conversations along the way, we feel like today would have looked a little different and there would have been more implemented, fully implemented um, recommendations. And so I think the, the two examples here are that, you know, the form around the conflict of interest form, all we needed to do was grab the information that was already in the policies document, add it to the form... And then start using the updated form it was there in the policies that were given to the board of directors um, and and just putting it in a separate place and reissuing the form um, was a very s- small effort but meaningful and uh, so i wanted to just state that there's some things we we easily did after that meeting um, or we're working on with the the bkd auditor to to do an operational assessment of the segregation of duties and want to make sure that we state that ddphe feels strongly that we're as collaborative as possible and meeting these uh, recommendations and findings. And so thank you for the opportunity to respond to that.
5: Uh, Thank you for your comments. I appreciate that. Um, So I think I'm hearing you say one of them is probably fully implemented since we did this work or shortly after we did this work and the other is ongoing and will be implemented soon.
7: That's correct. Correct. Yeah, thank you. Daniel.
9: I will now present the not implemented recommendations. Recommendation 1.4, to review and revise key policies for alignments with uh, with requirements. As shown on page six of our report, uh, (coughs) the foundation sought to have the Department of Public Health and Environment Review caring for Denver's policies to ensure the policies align with ordinance and contract requirements, and if discrepancies were found, to ensure revisions were made. As discussed on page seven, We found the department did review foundation policies, but the review did not ensure alignment with all city ordinance and contract terms. Specifically, in 2021, the contract section related to carrying forward administrative expenses was amended to review a 5% cap on total single year administrative expenses when funds are carried over, thus allowing the foundation to potentially spend more than 5% in a given year. We also found in the policies reviewed by the department, a misalignment for interest income earned. The foundation's policies categorize interest income differently from city sales and use tax but according to the caring for denver special revenue fund ordinance the categorization should be the same placing the same administrative spending restrictions on interest income as are in place for city sales and use tax collected funds recommendation 1.10 to promote and conduct evaluations as shown on page 8 was also not implemented We were not able to confirm how evaluation procedures were applied to the executive director's evaluation and found that policies and procedures for both board and executive director evaluations were still in draft form at the time we completed our review. By not implementing 1.4, the Department of Public Health and Environment has not aligned caring for Denver's policies and procedures with all applicable city ordinances. (laughs) A Significant risk remains that could result in some funds being spent on administrative costs rather than services. By not implementing recommendation 1.10, the foundation lacks finalized policies and procedures to guide the the performance evaluation process and may affect its ability to consistently assess its impact and demonstrate progress towards achieving the organization's mission. I will now pause to allow for comments or questions from audit committee members. After that, Carol will present the one disagreed with recommendation before closing our presentation.
5: Questions from the committee? Any comments from? If, you, if you're willing to right. indulge,
7: sure. <laughs> um, we we wanted to state from the public health department, especially on recommendation 1.4, that we dug really deep into the review of the policies and procedures, which I know the audit team uh, uh, understood um, and worked really closely with our city attorney's office and our department of finance partners that are more well-versed in the requirements of um, some of the f- finance-related policies at the city. And just feel like this is a difference of interpretation, frankly. I think uh, our city attorney's office, when we review the 5% cap on administrative expenses, uh, our understanding of the language in the ordinance is a 5% revenue cap, meaning we keep the incoming revenue very restrictive in that only 5% of that money is spent on administrative expenses, and Caring for Denver adheres to that very strictly, and we monitor their finances every month uh, accordingly. I think the, the audit team's interpretation of that is more around the expenditure of those funds in any given calendar year. And so what Caring for Denver is currently allowed to do, given our interpretation in working with city attorney's office, is carry over some of that 5% into a future year. If some of their administrative expenses straddle a calendar year, that allows them to carry on important administrative work. 5% is a very small administrative, uh, uh, amount of funding for a nonprofit or a, a, a foundation. And so, to allow them the flexibility within our interpretation and our city attorney's interpretation of the ordinance to carry forward some of that 5% to spend on expenses that are crucial, just because they fell in January and not December, was really important to us. Um, and based on the interpretation, was Allowable, And so I want to make sure we're clear on that and make sure we state we didn't remove that from the contract. We removed a small statement from the contract that was uh, confusing and sort of inconsistent with with some of that. But the cap of 5% is still very much in the existing contract, and we hold them strictly accountable to that. It's just a difference of interpretation around the carryover of that 5% into a future calendar year. So wanted to mention that. Anything else so you guys-
5: Are you disagreeing with accrual accounting, or? <laughs> I mean, I'm confused.
7: <laughs> do, you, do you want me to answer that? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think, you know, when you, we, we looked at some of these other uh, structures, Denver Preschool Program, and some of the other uh, structures that are set up outside of the city, and looked at their administrative caps, they are all greater than 5%. This is the tightest and most restrictive one. Self imposed I think on the folks that wrote the uh, <laughs> wrote the original ballot measure, and so um, with like I said, with our city attorney at hand because they're the ones we refer to and make sure we're being legally compliant, they very much said uh, we when we read this, the five percent is about the incoming revenue and making sure that if it were if there were a thousand dollars, you can only spend fifty dollars on admin, you know, and uh, whether you spend forty nine in january through december and that extra dollar in january of the next year to add to your other fifty dollars that's not the that's not the intent of the ordinance and the concern the concern is not spending over that five percent and maybe i'm restating what i've already said but we do think given how restrictive the five percent is that this is a really important thing to allow caring for denver to operate um, effectively
3: yeah and again again i think the ordinance says five percent of revenue per year. And so um, also given the city's truing up process, sometimes what also happens is what we anticipated and what we were paid on for the year is less or more come March. And so we won't have spent that additional revenue in that calendar year based on an an increased actual final reconciliation. And so like nonprofit best practice, whatever isn't spent of that 5% every year goes into an admin reserve so that when there is a downturn in economy, COVID was a perfect example where it was originally estimated to be 37 million and our revenues came in at 34 million. It allows for us to maintain the organizational integrity to be good stewards of the dollar as we weather different economic situations. And so again, we are true to that 5% revenue cap and and as duly noted, we can raise additional funds. Uh, It's allowed for in the ordinance. in that this is a revenue cap related to the sales tax revenue but we don't necessarily see it as a spending cap meaning we can only spend five percent a year because even the ability to raise additional funds would mean we would go beyond the five percent and so i think that that's just the interpretation that might be a little different if that
5: so i'd like to continue this discussion as we talk about the disagreed recommendation because We say you could go back and amend the statute. I mean, statutes are enacted at a point in time. The world is very dynamic. A statutory enacted is a static environment. We recommend you go back and, you know, make some changes to the statute, and you disagree with that, and yet I think right now you've made a case to go back and change the statute. (laughs) For the ordinance, I shouldn't say statute, but...
4: I mean I would say one thing to that if that's okay um as you said it, it's a point in time hindsight is 2020 all of those things I think much of the conversation we've had at the board level is really around let's get to what we understand this has been a massive lift to not only get this foundation up on its feet but also get that kind of money out the door I mean it's truly phenomenal i like I said, I mean, I'm such a fan of it all. I say a lot, this is one of the favorite things I get to do in my life is sit on this board. And that um, there is a level of like, let's understand what we're doing so that we can reassess. And if we need to go back, but let's, let's get a little bit of a runway so we're not just trying to change it all of the time. I mean, I think the standing up and the implementation is no joke. And that to tie to that 5%, I mean, as nonprofit folks, that is a very, very small percent and a very, very tight margin. And to the earlier question, hiring is brutal, inflation is brutal, and so the interpretation to me is accurate based on the statute, but I think also provides a way for us to really be able to function on a very small margin.
3: And maybe what I would, so sorry, offer just as well is that We also understand, as as the questions and comments before, we're in a very challenging time where the needs are great. And if we can manage on the 5%, which we have, we have not exceeded the 5%. um, When we do, that would be a perfect conversation to have with city council and and DDPHE. We have not exceeded that. um, And so we would rather live within those means to be able to get more money into community is partly the intention of why um, yes it's tight um, but there is great need right now and that's what we'd like to do is live to the intent
5: Carol. Uh.
0: so just to kind of um, close out our conversation today I'm just going to restate the um, disagreed with recommendation related to the conversation we just had and so from the original audit that was recommendation 1.1 to amend city ordinance Um, At that time, we did not evaluate if officials of the Department of Public Health and Environment took action to implement the recommendation because they disagreed with it in our original report. The response to the original audit stated they believed that rather than changing the voter-approved ordinance language, this level of clarification could suitably be handled within Recommendation 1.2 by addressing these needs for clarification and other aspects of the relationship and associated work by revising contract terms. As noted earlier in our discussion of the implementation of the status for recommendation 1.4 regarding revising contract terms, we found the contract and the ordinance still are not fully aligned despite the department's efforts since the original report. That concludes our presentation today. I will now open the floor for any additional comments or questions from the audit committee, department, or foundation.
5: Additional Comments, questions, any closing remarks from caring for Denver or public health?
3: I just, again, want to say how much I appreciate the team, both the original team <laughs> and, and our new team. Um, we are as committed to ensuring that we live to the ordinance and live up to the potential. Uh, Denver voters had the foresight to say, this is something that we need to address and <coughs> we really want to deliver on the voters promise and be good stewards of the dollar and is still a relatively new organization. So we're, we're three years in. I truly appreciate all the work and the partnership in this both with the department and the auditor's office to ensure that we just get better um, and do the things we need to to mitigate all the risks so it's just a sincere thank you
7: and I would just add that thanks we have learned a lot and appreciate the partnership and what we've been able to do to ensure that we're as compliant and um, Making sure we're as buttoned up as uh, we can and need to be, and also want to acknowledge all of the hard work. I mean, Christina, you're speaking to it, that caring for Denver has done to stand up this incredible organization that's getting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars out the door for a crisis that we're all living through right now. And just want to make sure we acknowledge that um, that it has been an, an incredible lift with a small administrative fee. And I think I'm really excited for, for you all and us to share the annual report. I think after having a year or two under your belt, you know, you continue to have more meaningful data to demonstrate the impact. And I'm very excited for us to present that or share that with you all uh, when it comes, because I think it uh, demonstrates all of the hard work that the team has put into it. So thank you for the opportunity. And I thank would you. Add one piece. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I would, is that I
4: think this human side of it is that you know, you can hear Lorez's passion in it and all of that, and I would say totally take off a caring for Denver place, but um, the way that the foundation has shown up in our community and some of the work that Lorez has been able to do with us as providers, particularly for those of us during COVID that were essential workers and showing up for us was extraordinary, and that... Um, as voters, as many of you may be in Denver, the difference that this has made is extraordinary. And if you think about a crisis today, without this $100 million on this street, it would be even more devastating. So I hope you all feel proud, not only of doing this important work that has impacted Caring for Denver, but just supporting such an amazing resource, because it, it is truly saving lives and changing
3: them every day.
8: i'm assuming that's an electronic link yeah. yeah that if you would forward it to committee members i would love to see it i'm not sure i will remember we'll remember we'll remember and we'll
3: make sure it comes out march 31st is our due date but i'm also happy to share the last annual report if if you want pre-reading for the oh, next really? one i actually great. would like that. so yeah so we'll make sure we get you the link to the 2021 again that was after one year of reporting and um, getting it we all have a great
8: up. website yeah, yeah. I'm just, it's on your website though. yes yeah.
3: yes um, but we'll send a link to just make it easy we'll share it with carol and
5: perfect thank you and i do appreciate the work that you do i know the audits tend to talk about maybe the five percent a different five percent but uh, uh thank you for the 95 percent of what you all do and do very well so have a thank great so day much. stay safe out there All right, our next report briefing is on the parks legacy plan follow-up. We have Happy Haynes, the executive director from the Department of Parks and Recreation. Our audit manager, Karis Epstein, is quarantined right now, uh, so she won't be here. And Anna, would you like to introduce the team? And then Happy, I will ask you if you have any introductory remarks you would like to make before we get going. So why don't we start with uh, Anna?
1: Thank you, Auditor. Good morning, and good morning, Happy. And thank you for, for coming today. Uh, I am joined at the table today by Ron Keller, uh, Senior Auditor, and Daniel um, and like the auditor said um, we we wish best luck to Caris for a quick recovery uh, happy
10: happy any remarks um no i don't really have any um opening remarks i think we all can right. just dive right in thank you all right, Jump right well, in.
1: we would like to thank uh, all of your personnel from the department of parks and recreation and we had some Uh, exchange emails and information also with the Department of Finance so we would like to thank uh, for um, you know all of your assistance throughout our follow-up effort. Starting starting on the highlights page of the follow-up report the background states that in 2018 Denver voters approved a 0.25% sales tax increase to support the parks trails and open space program. The city passed an ordinance for the program, the Parks Legacy Fund, which restricts this new revenue stream to specific purposes, including acquiring additional park for parks and developing and maintaining new and existing parks. Parks and Recreation is responsible for managing the fund. The other objective was to determine the extent to which Parks and Recreation ensures legacy fund dollars improve and expand the park system and accelerates implementation of the 20-year strategic game plan for a healthy city. The audit scope was for the period of July 2019 through March 2021, and our review included the department's controls and processes for providing management and oversight how the department communicated process and successes attributed to the legacy fund, and the department's consistency and effectiveness when allocating expenditures, including administrative costs. The original audit was issued in October 2021 and had two findings. In finding one, the department's of Parks and Recreation needed to improve its compliance with all ordinance requirements its transparency in communicating to the public um, parks legacy funded project progress and successes and institutional knowledge preservation through succession and contingency planning. In finding two, the department needed to ensure appropriate park maintenance as the department was acquiring new park assets while not ensuring existing facilities and land were sufficiently maintained and safe for the public and staff. At that time, we proposed nine recommendations to the department. Throughout, uh, Through our follow-up efforts, we found the department fully implemented three of the recommendations, partially implemented one, and did not implement five. Next, we will present the recommendations which were fully implemented and their impact before moving on to discussing the recommendations not fully implemented and the risks that still remain. That concludes the background, and now Ron Keller will cover a portion of Finding One.
11: Thank you, Anna. On page one of the follow-up report, Finding One says the Department of Parks and Recreation should improve existing business practices to ensure alignment with the ordinance and leading practices. We made five recommendations for this finding. The department fully implemented two recommendations. The recommendations related to legacy fund administrative costs, annual reporting, communications policy, and succession planning. As stated on page one of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.1, to revise the administrative cost policy and procedure was fully implemented. The department revised the policy by developing a formal operating procedure which documented staff responsibilities and process steps. It also documented a description of allowable costs and how administrative costs should be calculated. For recommendation 1.2 on page two of the follow-up report, The department documented and implemented a standard operating procedure to distribute the Legacy Fund Annual Report to specified parties in accordance with the city ordinance. The impact of implementation is important. Specifically, by formalizing in its department policy and procedures a description of allowable administrative costs and calculation methodology, the department helps ensure that staff is aware and consistently apply guidance in determining the appropriateness of legacy fund administrative costs. By also formalizing in its policy and procedures the distribution of the annual report, the Department helps ensure staff are aware of ordinance requirements, that the report promotes transparency and is submitted timely to all interested parties. I will now pause for any comments and questions from the committee or department, after which Daniel will discuss the status of the remaining recommendations in finding number one.
5: Questions from the committee? Anything you would like to add, Happy? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I do think oh, you here. Uh, slow too. Again, to, I was
6: debating yeah. when to ask this question, but by way of background, I think it's, it's okay here. Um, uh, could you tell us, um, and I'm you know, kind of off the top of your head, but what, uh, to what extent have new has new land been acquired for parks pursuant to the the, the intent for acquisition and maintenance um, from the 0.25% that was originally voted in?
10: Um, there have been several um, parcels, and I'm sorry, I can't. Um uh, give you that all of that information on the top of you, uh, from the top of my head, I but understand. I would be glad to um, um, send that to you. Okay, yeah. I just wasn't aware, yeah.
6: you know, it's it, that there had been, I guess there hasn't been a big, you know, splash about it or anything, but um, there I, there have been parcels acquired. There. Yes, okay.
5: I know there was one acquired in near my home. East of Colorado Boulevard, I think on Isla. Yes.
10: Houston. A garden shop. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There, there have been several uh, a- acquisitions, um, not as many as we'd like. But uh, uh, any of you um, who do keep do. yes, who <laughs> keep close to the real estate market, know that uh, land prices are extremely uh, uh, challenging, uh, challenging for us.
6: So does the. the is there a plan that says that this is what the ideal would be, that, mm-hmm. that we'd like to have this much be allocated toward land purchases?
10: We, we, we do have um, an, acqu- uh, an acquisition plan, mm-hmm. yes.
6: Thank you.
2: Jack? Uh, to follow up on the question, yeah, you know, there's the whole question of Park Hill, uh, golf, course. golf course, et cetera and maybe this is a citizen question again, but land is very expensive as as you correctly point out. It's gotten much more expensive. Um, How do you see that controversy? 60 no, 120 in, uh, seconds. Uh, it's not really part of well, I right? no, I'll, question, I'll right? say this, I don't I don't
10: I don't think that's a fair question in the context of the legacy uh, fund um um audit here, I, but I will say uh th- that's that's a citywide process um that um uh, has been over uh, a year and a half uh, in the process and planning with the community on what the community wants to see happen there and we've participated uh, as as one of the the agencies in that process and it is currently going through the City Council process as we speak
2: yeah, but <clears throat> who who should better understand it yeah. uh,
10: Well, if there were 2,000 people involved in this, there are 2,500 opinions. (laughs) That's all? (laughs) All right, let's continue.
11: Thank you. Daniel.
9: Thank you, Ron, and good morning, everyone. I will now discuss the partially implemented recommendations for finding uh, one. As stated on page 2 and 3 of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.3 to review the existing communications policy was partially implemented. While the department developed a new supplemental communications policy, the department did not provide documentation of the policy analysis to show it met all the elements outlined by the recommendation, such as when to communicate funding sources or project timelines with the public. The remaining risks are that when policy policy documents are critical as they help departments ensure products or services remain consistent, efficient, and effective. While the communications team met at least once to produce a new communications policy, staff did not record their analysis or conclusions from the review. Because of this, we were unable to determine if the communication team's review covered all the risks identified during the original audit, and may be at risk of inconsistently communicating program details. In the future. Well, I'll pause for questions and comments for the audit committee.
5: Comments, questions? Any additional response from the department?
10: Um, uh, Certainly. uh, We had a lot of uh, communication back and forth about this policy, and and it was our conclusion that we didn't need a new policy. Um, We did explain uh, in connection with the Legacy Fund a very detailed processes, procedures that we use um, um, based on the projects. Uh, and uh, when those projects occur, all of the information about what the scope of the project is, what um, um, uh, what dollars uh, are, are being expended, what their sources are. And so that's an ongoing process when uh, projects are initiated, when there's a groundbreaking. In many instances, we have community uh, groups involved in the um, in, in planning for those projects, advisory committees, and so they get a, a, a full range of information about uh, each of the projects as they go, um, and each year for those citywide uh, um, efforts, uh, such as uh, uh, playground uh, repairs and you know basketball court uh, renovations and so on. Those are all uh, included in our annual capital maintenance and budgeting uh, process in in fairly great detail, and it includes uh, the dollars that are spent, what the scope of the projects were, and how they will be, um, um, and what the timelines are for uh, those projects to be completed.
9: We'll now discuss the not-implemented findings for recommendation one, or for finding one. As stated on page three and four of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.4 to revise and implement the communication policy was not implemented. While the department developed a new supplemental communications policy, we found that the new policy lacks clear and consistent guidance for communicating legacy project information and did not address the risks identified in the original audit. We tested 24 communication examples, which included public flyers, banners, and social media posts, and found only seven consistently mentioned the park's legacy fund. As stated on page four of the report, for recommendation 1.5, to develop and document succession plans was also not implemented. Although the Department of Parks and Recreation has started documenting talent reviews, which the city's Department of Human Resources say are the precursor to the succession planning process, Parks and Recreation has not developed and documented a succession and contingency plan. Additionally, the department did not provide documentation to show it had developed policies and procedures for retaining institutional knowledge. By not implementing recommendation 1.4, the department is still at risk of inconsistently messaging key project information such as milestones and funding at each project phase, which negatively impacts the department's ability to adequately inform the public on how legacy funds are used in the city. By not rep, uh, implementing recommendation 1.5, policies and procedures for key roles at the department, managers cannot ensure institutional knowledge is retained when, ca- when key staff leave so the department can continue operating without interruption. I will now pause for comments and questions from the audit committee or department representatives, after which Anna will present finding two's recommendations
5: questions from the committee? Any comments from the department?
10: Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll comment briefly. Um, I, I think, I, think I heard it stated in the, in, in the last conversation that um, there may be a difference of, of opinion in the product uh, of, of uh, what, was, um, what, what we accomplished uh, in response to the audits. Um, we didn't change the communication policy the way Uh, The staff here would like to change it, but we did make changes to the policy to ensure that we had some consistency in how we communicate on our projects. I think what is uh, really at issue is there was a very strong feeling that we should put signs at every location and that legacy funding uh, as as a separate source of funding for our projects. Had to be highlighted on every project, uh, and we pointed out several flaws with that. And first, we started with an explanation that legacy fund, the legacy fund, is one source of funding for all the work that we do in our department. It's not the sole source, and our projects are very often have uh, multiple sources of funding. So we we'll have. Um, CIP, capital improvement um, uh, funding on some of our projects. We'll have bond funding, we'll have legacy fund. Um, We don't put separate signs. We don't put signs to say, you know, this project has this much money from here, here, and here. Um, uh, uh, Because there's a huge number of projects every year. And the ability, uh, we pointed out that the idea of putting signs on every single project was cost prohibitive. We'd spend more money putting signs up so people could see that this much money of legacy funds went into this project, rather than what people wanna know is, is our project on the list and are you gonna get it done this year? Um, and, and so we, you know, we try to provide a happy medium and we do provide detailed accounting for all of the expenditures in the legacy fund each year so that people know how much legacy fund was devoted to um, each of the categories of uses so you know to acquisition to um, maintenance and repair to um, fixing um, you know the the little things in parks the the sidewalks the paths the playground equipment, and, and those kinds of things. And then to the very larger, the large uh, projects that involve you know, significant new construction. And so uh, it, it, it's a balance, and, um, and so I think we have a difference of opinion about what that should look like. Um, but we did uh, pay attention to that, we did review those policies, and we did put uh, uh, make some changes to our standard uh, communications um, procedures, standards and procedures, uh, to, to address some of those things. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's a matter of um, de- de- defining the risk a little differently uh, in, in our minds than perhaps the uh, staff here does. Right.
6: So the uh, detail that you just uh, mentioned with regard to where the legacy fund money is spent, is that on your website? Is, that, is there a link to that or how the... When you say yeah there's
10: a yes it, it's in our annual report and uh, there there is um, uh, information on the legacy fund on our website
11: Yes, also spelled out in the city's budget I, every year ago and I look at there's the oh, yeah. five different funds here are the project shows you how much money tells you what it's going to be done it's it's great yeah. information in a fair
10: amount of detail
5: I would uh, say I've had more than a dozen friends colleagues that have asked me you know, about the tax and where are the dollars being spent and things like that. I, I think directing somebody to the city budget or to the uh, the website is, I don't know, that's a difficult uh, thing for people to do is to dive into the city's website uh, to find something like that. So I think the communications could be improved. Uh, you don't. And um, I guess we agree to disagree.
9: Dr. O'Brien, if I may as well. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to uh, make a quick clarification. The uh, recommendation dealing with the communication policy was not just uh, we weren't just looking at signage posting, it was also uh, any sort of flyers that might be mailed out, social media posts that were made uh, online or any uh, different ways of communicating. So just wanted to kind of make that quick clarification. Well,
10: and we do a lot of those and as projects uh, every, every month and every quarter, as projects come in, we do send information out. Um we use social media to do all of that. So all of those things are embedded in our practices. Um yeah. we continue.
1: <clears throat> Finding two can be found starting on page six of the follow-up report and says the Department of Parks and Recreation is not ensuring appropriate maintenance of all parks. We recommended four recommendations for this finding, and the department fully implemented one and did not implement the remaining three. As stated on page six of the report, recommendation 2.4 for the department to formalize the definition of supplanting was fully implemented. The department also established process assurance procedures by outlining the finance director's responsibilities that include working with the Department of Finance to assure no uh, supplanting occurs. By formalizing the definition of supplanting in its policy, the Department can communicate to staff that all funds need to be used for ordinance purposes and should not replace nor supplant any general fund appropriations allocated each year. It also establishes a working relationship between the finance director from Parks and Recreation, and the city's Department of Finance to help ensure no supplanting occurs. And I I will now pause to see if there are any comments or questions.
5: Questions, comments?
10: I I would just add, um, um, I I think this this was um, an exercise of, of... of documenting what was already done, and the, certainly the relationship with our city attorney and our um, and our finance office. E- each year, uh, it's part of our budget process. Um, we we cannot propose uh, spending dollars that would be in violation of the supplanting, uh, and so it was already being done. At, um, th- this um, um, so it, it, this was just a documentation or codifying wh- of what was already occurring.
12: Happy was that completed um, after this work was done because our work found it was really just talent reviews that were being documented and there wasn't any succession plan.
10: I thought we were talking about the
6: supplanting. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs)
5: Let's continue.
1: Okay. All right, now we're going to go over the non implemented recommendations. As stated on pages six through eight of the report, recommendation 2.1 to to conduct a formal needs assessment was not implemented. While the department changed how often it conducts parks evaluations, we found it did not document the decision-making process to justify the weekly frequency. Additionally, department managers did not agree on the weekly park evaluation frequency, specifically While for one manager, the park evaluation done on a weekly basis would help the park supervisors get in the habit of using the evaluations forms more consistently, another manager said that weekly evaluations seemed impractical and unattainable as they uh, require extensive additional paperwork and time from the already busy supervisors. This manager added, the frequency of the evaluation should be determined based on park size and level of use. For example, the larger regional parks should be evaluated weekly because of the large number of daily park visitors, while smaller parks with with less uh, acreage and fewer daily visitors should be evaluated monthly. Regardless, the department did not provide any documentation showing that parks should be evaluated on a set frequency based on a formal needs assessment. Recommendation 2.2, as stated on page eight of the follow-up report, to conduct a workforce analysis was not implemented. Recommendations 2.2 implementation depended on the previous recommendation 2.1 being implemented, but because no needs assessment was done, the department cannot demonstrate it used the results of the needs assessment to determine appropriate staffing resources to maintain existing assets while planning for the anticipated growth of the park system. In its follow-up response to the recommendation, the department said it would continue to evaluate its staff needs as part of the annual budget process and that the 2023 budget expansion request had been submitted and was awaiting approval. But when we asked for the budget proposal the department had submitted to the Budget and Management Office, both Parks and Recreation and the Budget Office refused to give us that information. Both said budget submissions were considered protected documents. Alternatively, the department could have provided other documentation to show us it conducted a workforce analysis, but chose not to. Consequently, the department could not demonstrate it conducted the necessary review to identify the size of staff it needs to properly maintain its existing and newly acquired parks and to mitigate the risks we identified. As stated on pages nine and 10 of the report, recommendation 2.3 to standardize the evaluation process was not implemented. While the department developed a new standardized park evaluation process, We found the new form lacks substantial detail and guidance and found that training appears to fall short as park evaluations remain inconsistent. For example, of the 20 completed evaluation forms we reviewed for our follow-up, only four had no errors or blanks. The remaining 16 had blanks or had not been filled out properly. By not conducting a formal needs assessment, department managers cannot identify an appropriate frequency for conducting park evaluations to ensure both existing and new parks are maintained, are clean and safe for visitors. Because department managers did not conduct a formal needs assessment, they cannot identify the resources needed, such as staffing levels to ensure both existing and new parks are adequately maintained. Finally, by not implementing recommendation 2.3, the department is at risk of conducting inconsistent park evaluations as monitoring and review procedures are not adequately designed to detect and correct issues or concerns with the city's park spaces. This concludes our presentation, and now I'll open up the floor for comments or questions. Thank you.
2: Um, Uh, uh, um, Misquoting what you said, please correct me that apparently proprietary information that is not it's <coughs> not available to citizens who pay taxes uh, within the parks department now i understand those kinds of things can happen in the police department because of those issues but uh, first miss hansen did i mischaracterize what you just said
1: so we were asking for evidence you know from the budget process to say okay so according to what the department was telling us they had submitted uh, a staffing analysis within the budget proposal so we just wanted to you know you know as auditors we look for evidence Uh, we just needed to see what you know the process included, and we even you know offered for alternative documentation. But um, no,
2: no, But my understanding was that the department it's refused a, to provide it. It's a I,
11: citywide policy. It's not parks budget documents. Budget requests are uh, working documents, so it's not parks' decision. It's the city attorney's. I see. So
3: until the budget is approved, Correct. The process is kept. Not the budget so,
11: approval. It, these,
10: these are the these are budget requests. Right, that's what this I'm is once so. A, an, once it becomes it, the mayor's budget and is presented publicly to the city council, then those documents are are uh, publicly accessible. I
6: see. So it's not the process that it goes through. It just just the final, re- the final. Let, let
5: me so let me the the jump budget. in here, Florine, so because. Is. The, the Charter gives the auditor access to virtually any and all information kept you know, using taxpayer dollars. There's no, there's no uh, carve out for work in process or deliberative process or anything like that. I mean, you simply you and the Department of Finance, and actually the Charter specifically says the Department of Finance, we have access to their records, uh, you wouldn't give us the information well, and it's Mr. hard to Editor, conduct an audit when we don't have, have the information to the city you know, determine if you've complied with the recommendation.
10: As I said, I, I would invite you to have that conversation with the city attorney. Uh, I, my direction, I work for the mayor, uh, my direction is pre- prepare our uh, information provided to the mayor and when he's uh, ready to move forward, he makes that decision. Um, so I mean if you have a disagreement with that that's that's a conversation you'll need to have with our city attorney
5: well and we've had it with the mayor and you know this is a, a continuing problem that we have with certain departments in the administration so any other comments all right thank you we have a couple more agenda items <clears throat>
2: No, no, no. And I
5: appreciate. So we have a <clears throat> I think it, it has we have our 2022 annual report. I'm pleased to present it uh, to you. Uh, I think 2022 was a you know, tough year, difficult year in a lot of ways for the same reasons that we've heard from many of the departments and agencies. But overall, I think we were able to accomplish quite a bit. Um, and I could read it to you if you'd like.
12: <laughs> I think the important thing to note, um, we really cover all areas of the auditor's office, um, going into detail about you know what the different functions and responsibilities and accomplishments um, in the different areas, and uh, highlight some of the key audits, highlight the accomplishments and successes of staff individually and as a group. Um, very proud of how they've performed during, uh, during a difficult year. Um, a succession of difficult years, but um, we, we all hope we're coming out of that. Um, so, Audit Committee is highlighted on page 22, <laughs> and uh, thank you for your service.
5: So, I don't expect you to read it right now, but uh, if you do have any comments uh, about the report, please let me know item number six on our agenda general business the next meeting will be here in the Parr widener room february 16th uh, at 9 a.m unless we have another snowstorm with that uh, we're going to adjourn into executive session to talk with our external auditors about the progress in the external audit for the year 2023 is there a motion to go into executive session Discussion? All in favor? Aye. We are in executive session. Thank you.
8: City money, we sit as quasi-judicial officers, officials, who make land use decisions, so for like rezonings, for example, and then we have the power to investigate um, city agencies and employees. What we we do, how we do that, is we have uh, council committees. There are five council committees and each of the mayor's city agencies reports to one of those council committees. And um, so for example, I sit on two committees. Um, I sit on our safety committee, which deals with um, any city agency that has to do with housing, homelessness, education, or safety. So um, the, all of our police, all of our schools, all of our, um, you know, our housing and stability, Department of Housing Stability, um, those all report to our safety committee. I also sit on our business committee, which is um, any arts um, or workforce or aviation issues. So for example, the airport reports to our um, business committee. So um, you can see how kind of those committees work. There is a Land Use, Transportation, and Infrastructure Committee. So all um, rezonings are a Department of Transportation and Infrastructure. They report to LUTE, what's called LUDY. Um, our Finance and Governance Committee deals with any sort of governing issues, um, any appointments to boards and commissions, um, any any of those kinds of things. So, um, though that's how we kind of split up the responsibilities, not only between the thirteen council members, but also between all of the agencies um, within the city that report to the mayor. So, as I said, one of the major things that city council does is talk about land use, um, and and so uh, that's one of the major. Um, decision-making powers we have as a council and and so there are um, very specific plans in place in our city uh, that guide our decisions as council members when it comes to how we want to use our land as a city and these are really important decisions that we're making because um, when we're talking about land there's only so much land we as a city have. And um, there's a court decision that was, um, that was the Colorado Supreme Court decided. And that court decision says that the boundaries of the city and county of Denver can never get any larger. And so that means that we can't grow this way. We can only grow this way or we don't grow at all. And um, if we don't grow at all and people keep coming and wanting to move to the city of Denver, that means we're not going to have enough housing. And if we don't have enough housing, then the price of the housing that we do have is going to get higher and higher and higher. And that's concerning because that means people aren't going to be able to afford to live in our city so the way we decide to use our land is extremely important because we need to make sure that we're taking into account things like affordability and availability um, supply and demand and we're being thoughtful about the decisions that we're making when it comes to land use because if we don't um, we will be Getting ourselves into a really dangerous situation down the road um, where we don't have enough housing and we um, and the housing we do have is incredibly expensive. You might know what I'm talking about because we are finding ourselves almost there right now. And that's a real problem um, in our city already. So we have several plans in place um, that have that are the result of several years' worth of Um, community conversation and feedback that sort of guide our overarching plans as a city. Um, Comprehensive Plan 2040 talks about the the land use goals of the city. Then we have Blueprint Denver, which talks about our more specific development goals. Um, Right now, we are working with our community planning and development department to go through what's called the NPI process. NPI stands for Neighborhood Planning Initiative. And the NPI process um, is going to kind of chunk together neighborhoods. Um, You can see in the map that we're looking at here of the city and county of Denver, um, what is highlighted in green are four neighborhoods that I am currently working on um, South Park Hill, Hill, Hale, Montclair, and East Colfax. This is the East Area Plan. You might have read about it. But the East Area Plan is part of this NPI process, it's one NPI, one neighborhood planning initiative.